Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about it in a number of different ways. We've talked about it for the last half hour on Blog Talk Radio as a warm-up to this show. And we discussed it from several different points of view, but the title of this show will be Peculiar People because the Christians were referred to as Peculiar People. And I didn't really tell people what that meant, but I began to lay the groundwork for that. I talked about this day in history being the day that uh, Queen Elizabeth chartered the London merchants uh, in the East Indies Trading Company. And that concept of a king chartering a group to do a particular task, creating a corporate body the authority to create a corporate body. That, and a corporate oration is two or more people gathered together under a pre-existing authority for a particular purpose as if they were one person. And we've given in the past an example that that's kind of what uh, marriage is, the re- domestic relationship of husband and wife, no more twain but one person gathered together as that one person for a particular purpose, be fruitful and multiply under a pre-existing authority, which would be God if it was a marriage that was wholly under God. Unfortunately, most marriages today are not under God, they're under the state. Most corporations we see today are state corporations. And what I was explaining to some degree, and, and we're not going to go into it in great depth, but just to give you a, a glimpse that if a church incorporates under the state, all other previous incorporations are null and void as if they never happened. Well, the church is really sort of a corporation of Christ, a corpus of Christ, a body of Christ, and its authority should be Christ, not the state. And as soon as a church goes under the authority of the state, as a corpus of the state, all other previous incorporation by any other authority is null and void as if it never happened. That's the way the statutes look at it. So any church that incorporates, it denies Christ because Christ should be sufficient. Christ is the authority to create the church. It says, I appoint unto you a kingdom, and that's what he was doing was appointing a kingdom, a kingdom, a authority to act to his church. Now the question today is, who is his church? Is it us? Is it somebody else? Well, that's a question that will have to be answered in the hearts and minds of everybody. Whoever his church is, wherever it is, we don't have a monopoly on his church. We're just men struggling to find out what the will of Christ is, the will of God the Father is for us, and we want to do it. If we are his church, he will profess us. If we are not, he will say, get, a, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. And there may be many other people out there that are coming close to Christ and seeking the same thing that we're seeking. And they may not even know us. And if I know God, he's doing exactly that. That he is raising up people all over the world to do his will. And there are those who will persevere into the end and those who will fall short. And 
judging them is in his hands, not in mine. What my is in my hands is what he gives me to work with. And so we're telling you how that early church operated, how it held property, how and why it held property, and what it was doing. How, are we doing the will of the Father? Well, let's take a look at the early church, which was doing the will of the Father, and find out what they were doing. And if we weren't doing anywhere close to that, we need to get more like that and less like what the modern church looks like. Because the modern church is not doing what Christ said because it has delivered the entire world back into the bondage of Egypt, back into Babylon the Great, where everybody is now subject servants of Babylon the Great. And we were talking also earlier about the fact that only a certain kind of people will be able to follow Christ. It's those people who repent, those people who are humble of heart, who are patient, who are loving, who are charitable, because it's only those people who really believe in Christ. If you're not charitable and forgiving and giving, then you don't really believe in Christ. You just say you do, but you're not doing the will of the Father. You don't, you're certainly not doing it in the name of Christ because that would be what the name of Christ means. It's not, well, I did it in Yeshua's name. No. And doing it in his name is doing it according to his character, in his way, according to his... And you can't do that without his Holy Spirit entering into you. And the more you do that, the more you repent of not doing things his way, the more likely it will be that the Holy Spirit enter into you. You can't conjure them up. You can't do good works and force the Holy Spirit to enter into you and give you power and understanding and wisdom. It's a daily effort, a struggle. And so what does that struggle look like? You know, what does the path to the kingdom look like? We know we have to turn around from what we were doing and do something different. I pointed out also that in this day in history, back in 1781, even before the Constitution, the Continental uh, Confederation Congress uh, actually chartered the first bank. The Bank of North America was organized uh, by uh, Robert Morris. And that was a major event, too. But like corporations created by men, they often do the will of men rather than the will of God. And that's, of course, what modern churches have done. They're doing the will of their father, who is in Washington, D.C., or London, or wherever it is, because they're the corpus of the state. I also pointed out that in the kingdom of God, the church is always separate from the state. Now, that's a that's a kind of a tricky subject when you say that, separation of church and state. When you realize that the state is the people, because all power and authority was given to people, not to government, the people came together and decided to give it to government. This is why we see Cain creating a city-state, why Nimrod created this, tower or this this lineage of power and control called Babylon is that this was created by men vesting some of their rights and authority and right to choose in the hands of other men centralizing that authority and going under that authority because the more and more you give authority to this central 
body or individual or uh, corporation soul or whatever it is that you're giving it to, then the less power you have. Because there's only so much authority to go around. And if you give them the right to choose, then they have the right to choose, and you no longer have that right to choose. And if you give it to them and create debt, you can't just take it back without paying the debt, which is why they needed to incorporate a bank <laughs> so that they can create debt. And they have gone a long ways away from that original American bank charter uh, with things like the Federal Reserve. And then we pointed out that the Federal Reserve... Uh, which was recently audited. It wasn't a complete audit, but they, they did have a slight audit of the Federal Reserve. They never have had an audit of the Federal Reserve before, and they came up with the fact that the Federal Reserve has been giving out zero-interest loans to banks that amounted to at least $16 trillion. Not $16 billion. We're talking $16 trillion. The bailout was, what, $700 billion? Chicken feed chicken feed they've given out 16 trillion dollars that's uh, zero 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 let's see what is that one two three four sets of zeros <laughs> uh, that's uh, it's a big number trust me and uh, and they've given this out where the gross uh, GDP of the United States is only 14 trillion and they've already given out 16 and this is since 2007 so that's not over a long period of time and there's zero interest loans so you think anybody's going to pay those back zero interest loans why did they do this well there's a lot of reasons they're already bankrupt they're just trying to float the boat with you know somebody pumping the tires up so to speak to, while but nobody's patching the leak and the league is the Federal Reserve <laughs> and this entire banking system that we've become completely dependent upon. And yet we got guys running around trying to become free and not even addressing this issue. Well, there's a lot of issues that we have to address, and they're all addressed in the gospel of the kingdom. But you wouldn't know it because you're no longer a peculiar people. And your pastors have become brutish and created over 40,000 denominations because you're pastors really aren't trying to lead you to Christ. They're trying to lead you to making them pastors so that you hold them up and you look up to them and you place them in positions of authority when Christ is the only authority. And how do we know Christ? We know Christ in our hearts and our minds because it is through Christ's Holy Spirit that God's laws are written on our hearts and our minds. And that's the job of every head of every family and his wife and his children as they grow up is to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, to learn to be guided by that Spirit. And we have all kinds of things to help us do that. But nothing will help us do that more than the Holy Spirit itself guiding us internally. That's where the kingdom of heaven starts. But once it starts there, it needs to progress outward in order to bear fruit. The seed must begin to come up to light and act in the world and react in the photosynthesis and the growth and all that. The seed does not produce fruit staying under the ground. 
So anyway, we've got this uh, $16 trillion. Who got it? Well, uh, Citigroup got $2.5 trillion. Morgan Stanley got $2 trillion. Uh, Merrill Lynch got $1.9 trillion. Bank of America got $1.3 trillion. I mean, this is huge. You know, Bank of America, $1.3 trillion. This is a fractional reserve system. We won't go into all the details. Golden, Goldman Sachs, we, we saw where the president of Goldman Sachs knew that his uh, company was going to go bankrupt, so he goes and uh, gets a job with uh, President Bush, and because he gets that job, he gets to sell his stocks tax-free, so he makes $400 million personally and doesn't have to pay any taxes on that, and then... And of course, all of his stock went plummeting. He knew it was. He knew they were overextended. Uh, it's, it is the biggest heist in the history of the world, and it's going on right in front of your eyes, and Fox News is really doing nothing about it or telling you nothing about it. But you hear it here on Keys to the Kingdom. But what you're going to hear here more than that is the actual solution to the problem. Also, besides J.P. Morgan and the Royal Bank of Scotland uh, receiving $541 billion, I mean, that's almost as much as the bailout itself, which didn't really help anybody. If you wanted, you wanted to help people, let the banks go bankrupt. But it would have crashed the entire economy, probably, but it's going to do it anyway. And uh, we would have recovered. And we would have survived, but now we're in a worse uh, position to survive, and it's going to be a bigger crash because they've they're forestalling all the things that they need to do. But you can begin to do the things that you need to do, and find other people who are willing to do them, and become what the early church was, which is viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire, an ever increasing state whose union and discipline was so peculiar, <laughs> so amazing, that it even frightened the emperors. But yet most of the emperors said, leave the Christians alone. Hadrian, Trajan, both said, leave the Christians alone. Don't be looking for the Christians. They understood that they were a separate government. Uh, Antonius Pius knew it. Marcus Aurelius knew it, but he hated them. And, and officially persecuted him. Probably has the worst record of any of the emperors, yet he was the golden age of Rome. It sounded like a really nice guy, but he didn't understand the peculiar nature of Christianity. He didn't comprehend how important it was. And neither does your pastor today, because he's not preaching the kingdom. Because the kingdom is about taking back responsibilities so that you can have your rights back so that you can be free souls under God. Christ isn't freeing you like some slave that sings the song, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, at your funeral. You're not set free by death. You're set free in this life if you do what Christ says. We have gone so far away from the kingdom that you may not see that freedom fully within this lifetime. There is no paperwork you can just fill out and then, boom, now you're free. 
It's a process. You got this far away. Now you have to walk all the way back. And let's not take a lot of side trails, but let's turn around and head back. Repent and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now that righteousness is what will set you free. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. So anyway, besides those banks that I mentioned, uh, also the UBS Bank, which is a Swiss bank, received... uh, $287 $287 billion credit uh, Swiss, which is another Swiss uh, bank, $262 billion. Uh, Lehman Brothers, uh, Bank of Scotland, as I mentioned, uh, and also even uh, Parabas, uh, which is a French bank, received $170 billion, and many others. And it's not done. They're not done yet, loaning out your money, <laughs> loaning out your children's lives. Because you're in a Corby system of statutory bondage where they can increase the amount of taxes on you more and more and more and more. Now, that's the bad news. Now, the good news is Christ has been here already and gave you the solution. All you have to do is start turning around and reaching out for that solution, and we can resolve this problem with the grace of God. So, what what are we going to need to do? Uh, as I said, the, the uh, pastors have become brutish, so you're not going to be able to trust your local pastor. As a matter of fact, you're going to end up challenging them, which is what you should be doing all the time anyway. I'm not saying to pick on the poor guy, but you need to police him. You need to make sure that he is really doing what Christ said, that he measures up morally, spiritually, and this is why if you read in Titus, there's a big long list of things that you're going to be looking for in a pastor. And if he doesn't measure up, then you may not want to pick him as your pastor and stop supporting him and find somebody who will. You're not going to try to find somebody who wants to sit up at the top of the church on a pulpit over you and preach down at you as to what you're supposed to believe and not believe. You're going to be responsible for what you believe. Listen to what he has to say. Weigh it in your hearts and your mind. Pray about it. But the responsibility of the kingdom is within each and every member of the congregation and not the pastor's job alone. The pastor is the worker bee to make sure that the will of God is done in that congregation, but it is also your responsibility to make sure that your pastor is doing the will of God. It's a symbiotic relationship. You're the state. He's the church. You're responsible. He's responsible for different aspects of that role of church and state. Now, church has to do with religion, right? And what does religion have to do with the care of the widows and orphans? If your church is not the sole care for the needy of your society, you have not yet arrived at the kingdom of God. (laughs) Because that's what pure religion is, is that you care for the needy of your society, unspotted by the constitutional order or system of government of the world. So, I wrote here in an article that I was preparing on this very topic of peculiar people. It says, if the gospel was only about preparing you for life after death rather than providing you 
with liberty in this life under God, being a peculiar people might be easily passed over as a quaint descriptive phrase. But once you begin to understand that the this Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and I haven't finished that statement, but then you're going to start seeing the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what was I quoting from? This Bible is for the government of the people, for the people, or by the people, and for the people is actually a quote from Wycliffe's introduction to the Bible. He had discovered that the Bible was really about government, and of course it is. I mean, Nimrod, Cain, uh, city-state, uh, Pharaoh, bondage in Egypt, leaving Egypt, bondage in Ur, leaving Ur, leaving Haran. These are all about governments. Why did Christ come preaching the kingdom? And why were the Christians having such conflict with government? It's because they were another government that was operating in the heart of the Roman Empire and not dependent upon the Roman Empire's system of welfare, system of forced religion. They were separate, and legally so, because Christ made it so. But not always loved by everybody, often hated by people and occasionally persecuted by people. Your churches are not making you independent of government. So when that government fails, you will fail with it. The network that we are creating at HisHolyChurch.org, where you join and you become responsible, is an opportunity, an opportunity to become less dependent upon the government, less dependent upon their benefits, including their money, system, including their corporate food system. It's an opportunity, but you must do the work. And if you come there for what the kingdom can do for you, you will probably not measure up until you realize that you need to come in the name of Christ. Christ came to serve others, not to be served. Your pastors need to want to serve you, wash your feet, take care of your needs, be your servant. Now, of course, a pastor is really the servant of Christ, but he serves Christ by serving you. That's why Jesus went that whole thing with Peter. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. That's what a pastor's job is supposed to be. In order to do that, he has to be that worker bee. He's not that worker preacher. He's the worker bee. Yes, he's supposed to preach the kingdom of God, but in word and deed, like Christ, who actually rolled up his sleeves and washed their feet. He fed them. He gave them food rather than eat it himself. He was a good leader. He was a self-sacrificing man who sacrificed himself for love of others. And this is the kind of pastor you want. You don't want the pastor who needs to be put up on the pedestal. But anyway, we'll talk more about this peculiar people and what it was talking about in Titus and in First Peter when they said that the Christians were peculiar people. And you will be surprised, some of you, what the peculiar people are and who they are. 
pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, one holy nation under the heavenly Father with grace, mercy, and justice for all. The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media Channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host cause and anywhere else the spirit may lead you do all to the glory of our god and creator for his holy nation the only kingdom that will last forever thank you for listening If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. 559-781-3773. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God 
and relating it not only to the past but to the present. And as I always say, if you want to know the future, study the past. So we have a few things that we were looking at that was helping us understand this. One is uh, this concept of incorporation and banking. And there's actually more to that. Uh, On this day in history, a number of things happened. For instance, in 1974, private use by U.S. citizens uh, was allowed that they could now buy and own gold for the first time in more than 40 years. It was in 1974. It was actually October 28th that this was passed, but officially uh, it began on this day, uh, or at least uh, by the first of the year, that they could actually own gold. But they really can't own gold. If you're a U.S. citizen, you can own a legal title to gold. You can't actually own the gold. It's not really yours. They can take it away from you anytime they want. But uh, they allowed you to be purchasing it and uh, to hold it. But you really don't have the ownership of gold that Philos was talking about that belonged to the Israelites as they parted from uh, the Egyptian proper there, uh, the Egyptian city-state. They were still within Egyptian jurisdiction, even though they were out in Sinai and headed all the way to Canaan. Canaan was even under Egyptian jurisdiction at that time. And some people might argue that, but I'm pretty clear that that is actually the case. But they did not have jurisdiction over Israelites because they had no persona jurisdiction. A lot of their jurisdiction was dependent upon a persona jurisdiction. And this is one of the things about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire included all these city-states and, and countries all over the Mediterranean, but they uh, they didn't have absolute control. There was actually uh, governments in place and in existence at that time that they had no power over and was actually a little bit afraid of. And one of those governments was the government of God, which was Christians. Christians only amounted to about 5% of the Roman Empire, But Roman emperors were extremely afraid, especially Roman emperors like Marcus Aurelius, of Christians because their union and discipline, they were so well organized that they feared them that if they decided to rise up in the heart of the Roman Empire, they could do unbelievable damage. Even though they were only 5%, they were so well organized, this scared the emperors. And they feared that they might become political and and try to organize and overthrow the Roman Empire. And their influence amongst the tribes to the north, the Teutons and Jutes and Issachs and all these other people who found a certain amount of truth in this message of Christ, and many of them became Christians, they were said not to be Christians by those who followed Constantine, but they really were probably a lot closer to Christianity than modern Christians are today. Because there was a seedbed for Christianity amongst those tribes, because they already lived that independence that had almost been extinguished within the Roman uh, city-states. They had become extremely dependent upon government in those places. 
for their justice, for their law, for their welfare, for everything. And so what Christ was preaching is a way in which to start becoming dependent upon this perfect law of liberty, of faith, hope, and charity. It was nothing different than what John the Baptist was preaching, really nothing different than what Moses was all about. And this system depended upon individual responsibility. And that's where modern Christians really don't understand that they don't believe in Christ unless they're taking back their responsibilities. And many of the patriots don't realize that they will not be free until they take back their responsibilities. If you want your rights back, you must take back your responsibilities. That's just the way it is. I can't do anything about it. That's, that's just, you know, it's part of the program. <laughs> so you need to understand that. We'll take calls a little bit later on in the program, so if you're going to want that, stay, stand by with a pencil and paper, and we'll uh, give you uh, the number where you can call in. And Paul Besky is standing by to take those calls. And we'll try to answer your questions. There is a chat room with this program. If you get into the chat room, you can uh, ask your question there, and Paul will relate it on to me. Uh, we're going to be talking about this peculiar people, and before we get done with this show, we will address exactly what those words mean. And the first place that it shows up in the Bible where we see it in the New Testament because there is a reference to being peculiar people in the Old Testament but the word there in the Hebrew is vastly different from what we see in the New Testament the New Testament they're really talking about something else altogether but the phrase is seen in Titus 1.16 they profess that they know God but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Now that's what it says in one sixteen Titus, but in two fourteen we see who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now disobedient and unto every good work reprobate was these people he was talking about at 116 but then in 214 he talks about zealous of good works but everybody will tell you today that oh you're not saved by works you're saved by faith well that eschatology that's surrounding the concept of being saved by faith is satanic it is demonic now, it is true that we are saved by faith. No one can deny that. We are saved by faith because salvation is a grace of God. It's not a debt that God owes us. But to say that we are saved by faith with no further other explanation is not much different than what the devil was telling Adam and Eve in the garden. He was giving them some truth, but it was a lie because it was not the whole truth. And it was deceptively given at that. 
So unless people understand what faith in God really means and who God is and the fullness of that statement, everything that surrounds it, it is a source of great delusion that you are saved by faith. Because there's many people out there that think they're saved by their so-called belief in Christ, but they do not know Christ. And Christ was very specific in explaining that in his parables. Get ye from me, I know you not. I never knew you. Yet they think they're saved. They think they're doing what works they're doing in the name of Christ, but yet they don't know him. So it's very important to understand what it really means to have faith in Christ. And I see a lot of preachers going out there, just profess Jesus with your lips, and that's it. Well, if it's the real Jesus, that might work. But if it's not the real Jesus, it won't. If you're lying, then that won't work either. You have to really believe in who he is and know what that means to know who he is. So, anyway... That's a, that's something that we will address from time to time, but be wary of the preacher who says all you have to do is believe, but does not qualify that statement with a clarity of what that belief looks like. Because Christ, the Pharisees all said they believed, not in Christ, but they said they believed in Moses, but Jesus made it very clear that you don't even know Moses, because if you knew Moses, you'd know me. You see? <laughs> they, a lot of people say they know Christ, but they don't. If you, once you start knowing Christ and you look back at Moses, you realize Moses and Christ were in agreement. Moses set up a government. Christ set up a government. Christ appointed the people to be the leaders of that government. And Moses appointed men to be the leaders of that government. And he did it in a particular way, and most people don't understand what way that is. That's one of the problems with the Messianic Jews who are going back to practice Judaism. Their view of Judaism is dependent upon a knowledge of the Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots who had it wrong. They didn't really understand what the Old Testament was saying. They focus on the wrong things. They misapply the terms of Judaism. Uh, I used the word Judaism. That wasn't really you know what Israel was originally. If we were actually doing what Israel was doing originally, we would be closer to Christ than we are often today in our modern churches. But most Messianic Jews are not close to what they were doing in early Israel. They're close to what they were doing in the latter days of Israel, which was all screwed up and messed up and twisted. And, you know, I commend them for their effort, because at least they're trying to do something, but we have to get clearly on that path in the ways of God. And they haven't really changed, because God hasn't changed. Christians not only survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, but they thrived during its collapse. 
while the economy of the people sank into a dependence upon the choices made by a central government, the Christian community learned to make the choices at the family level of society that are essential in all free societies. While most of society became addicted to the needs for top-down imposed control because they were addicted to the benefits of such a government, Christians became more and more independent and self-reliant as a community, not just as individuals. And this is, of course, why we've started the Living Network. We're giving you the opportunity to start and create a Living Network. And we've done this using email networks based on location. But that's just the opportunity. Whether you create it or not will be up to you. And that will mean that you will have to actually make connections. Pick guys to help you make those connections so that you have some human individual to plug into. We don't just put your name and address out there for everybody just to pick who comes along on the net. We are inundated with people that are out there fishing for emails because they want to grab and gravitate people around them. They want to find people near them that are freedom-minded people because they want to gather these people around themselves. That's not our goal. We're not trying to get you to gather people around yourselves. We're trying to get you to gather around Christ. People say, well, I don't want to pick a PCM because... Hey, I, I don't need somebody else uh, to tell me who to associate with. That's not the job of a PCM, a personal contact minister. That's not his job. His, his job is to be an actual living connection. He's like a phone operator. You know, you pick a phone company, you know, Cellular One or Verizon or AT&T, you pick that well this is what you do you pick this PCM and he will become your living connection and he will be connected with other PCMs and he may do a lousy job well then pick another one till you find one that's doing a good job that's it's really simple it, but people come to this network for what they can get out of it so they say well I don't need anything so why should I join it the reason you join the network is not so that someone will fulfill your needs. It's because you come to fill the needs of others, the genuine, real, true needs of others. Because that's coming in the name of Christ. Christ came to serve, not be served. If you come to the network in hope of somebody serving you, you're not coming in the name of Christ. That's why you're not getting anywhere on the network. <laughs> because that's why you pick a PCM. It's not so he can help you, but so that he can tell you if somebody else needs help. And then that help has to be real help that is an actual help. Not weakens the poor, but strengthens the poor. And so anyway, that's why we created that network. And everybody should go to hisholychurch.org, click on the guy with the net, and join the network in their area. And find out who is the PCM in that area, who will volunteer or volunteer yourself. And we will try to get you elected. So anyway, so that you can become what? A peculiar people too. And you'll find out what that means here shortly. 
Anyway, uh, uh, Christians don't really measure up today with early Christians. You know, this is why we wrote the book, That Kingdom Come, so that you would get an idea. And we wrote the book, Free Church Report, which one of these days I may change and divide that book into the minister's manual and the Free Church Report and keep them both about the same size so that you can see a little bit better glimpse into the kingdom. So you can see the path a little clearer so you don't get caught in all the quicksand that's out there. Paul writes in Titus that the ordained elders of the church needed to be a certain moral and stable character. He gives off a list of what they are. Now, he was appointing elders. Now, this is one of the misconceptions that are out there, and we have this in Higher Liberty. If you go on to his org outline page uh, and look up the word elder by pushing what? C-T-R-L-F and then typing in the word elder I think it will take you down to a particular article an elder was an elder by circumstance if you were the head of a family you were an elder that's it he wasn't appointing elders to be elders he was appointing elders to be something else because there were jobs in the church because the church was administering the affairs of a government so there were offices within the church. We use the word office loosely because we don't want you to think that it's the same kind of office of the governments that serve you now because their recipe for government is a cookbook. They're devouring you. In the kingdom of God, we're setting men free to make a choice as to how they are to serve God. And they do that by serving one another. The elders are the members of congregations who are still retaining all their rights. Now, they may have contracted some away, but that's where they're at when they decide to turn around, and they may still have obligations that they have to fulfill in the world, pay certain taxes, uh, work at certain jobs, uh, you know, pay their rent, pay their mortgage. They may have all those responsibilities, but now they're going to turn around and start heading the other direction while they pay their tally of bricks and start uh, making a place for them in a more righteous habitation. So no matter what their status, even if they're in prison, they can turn around and start heading towards the kingdom. And they do this partly by caring about others, so therefore they have to congregate with others so that they can exercise that caring and that love because you can't help one another out unless you know that there's a problem and you can't know that there's a problem unless you congregate together so you have to form congregations of record and since the kingdom is not congregationalism although there is an element of congregationalism in the kingdom the kingdom is a kingdom so therefore every congregation must link itself with every other congregation because if you love your neighbor as yourself you will also love your congregation as yourself and this is what the early church was doing, that there was this vast network of Christians all across the Roman Empire and beyond, so that when there was a dearth in one area, Christians in another area, not only could gather up supplies with little burden on themselves, but they could get the supplies to where they needed to go as efficiently and as uh, quickly as possible. 
because there was a network of ministers. Ten families picked a minister. Ten of those ministers picked a minister. On and on and on until everybody in the kingdom of God was connected through this network of doers. Diaconuses. We talk about the word diaconus and diaconus uh, in the Greek. There's a diaconus in, uh, or deaconess in uh, the Latin and diaconus in the Greek, and they actually have slightly different origins, but basically they mean minister of ten. That's the way they, because this Greek and Latin, they had so many common words like patri. It's the same word in both languages, father. But they had other words that were slightly varied and different, but they had common origins way back in history. And this deacon was a minister of ten, not just a minister. And so that was one of the things that the elders were appointed to because the people would pick a deacon, a minister, a servant. Ten, ten heads of the household would pick a minister. But he had to be appointed or recognized, and there were four or five different words in the Greek text that are translated appointed, but recognized so that he was a part of this national network. So he was recognized by the ten below him in service, the ten that he served in this network. They aren't really below him. They're above him because they're the ones who not only choose him but pay him and provide him with what he needs to do the job. So he's their servant, you see, but he is higher because he has taken a position of service because he came to serve, not to rule over you. See, this is how you turn the world upside down. It's grassroots. It takes it back to the kingdom of heaven within each of those ten men who pick you as a minister. They need to have the kingdom of heaven in you to even know who to pick. Because they're not out there looking for somebody to put on a pedestal. They already have Christ on their pedestal. They don't want to put a man there. They're looking for a man of service. Now, they may respect him, and they may even look up to him as an example, but they do it because they realize that he comes to serve, because that's what Christ came, and they see Christ in him. But they won't even be looking for the real Christ if Christ is not in them. They'll be looking for somebody like themselves who wants to be put up on a pedestal. Anybody putting a man up on a pedestal secretly wants to be put up on a pedestal himself. But if a man comes with Christ in his heart, he's not going to put you on a pedestal. He's going to give you the opportunity of serving. And when the network is doing that, the network has a chance at freedom. When everybody comes to serve one another because they love their neighbor as themselves, now you have a chance at freedom. So anyway, we see this what Paul was doing was appointing one of those ten men pick one of them or eleven men pick one of them and he is the elder that Paul appoints to this network so that if they needed to have supplies come all the way from Jerusalem or some other city to help them out in a time of need they knew who to take it to they take it to this guy 
And this guy gets together with nine other ministers like himself, and they pick a guy. So now maybe they take it to that guy, and that guy makes sure that each of them get what according to their what they need. And each of these groups are small and intimate enough to keep track of who really has a need and who doesn't have a need. We had a situation where somebody suddenly, who really wasn't on the network, he was on an email group, who suddenly needed help to pay his rent. And somebody thought that we were just supposed to all send him money for his rent. But he wasn't in a congregation. He had not taken any time to do that. And we'll talk more about this when we get back. And then we'll really get into why people were peculiar and what that meant. And a lot more different than we think. Anyway, we'll be back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government takeover of the church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com. Welcome back. So, what was Titus really talking about with these peculiar people? He uses a particular word there in the context of that statement in Titus 2.14. Himself a peculiar people. Purify unto himself a peculiar people. Referring to Christ. That particular word that they use there in the Greek appears only once in the Bible. In the whole Bible, it appears only once. And it is uh, periosis. And it has a particular meaning. That which is one's 
own, belonging to one's possessions. That's what he was talking about. The peculiar people, people that actually belong to him. We get, who gave himself for us. That's what Christ came to do. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Peculiar people, a people belonging to him. A church that incorporates to the state belongs to the state. A minister who incorporates himself to the state belongs to the state. A minister of Christ belongs to Christ. This is what the Levites said. The Levites belong to God. They didn't belong to the people. They belong to God. And the people tied to them according to their service. They had to actually provide a service. What service? That was the government of God. Christians had waived their rights to apply for aid at any other government or temple, government temple, or office according to the gospel of Christ because those benefits were supplied by men who called themselves benefactors but exercised lordship and authority. To apply for those benefits would be to covet their neighbor's goods because their good, the goods of their neighbors would be compelled to be given. They weren't free will offerings. And you cannot be a free society unless you are supported by free will offerings alone. You have to be amongst people who will tax themselves instead of people who will tax you for their own benefit. You see the difference there? That we are still getting people coming to the network they're coming to the network because they want to tax you. They come to the network for what they can get out of it, for what they can receive, like the fellow who couldn't pay his rent. He didn't work for six months to build the network to help others. But when he needed help, he wanted everybody to drop everything and come help him. And there were people who were willing to do it, but somebody had to say, wait a minute. He needs to understand the real message of Christ that comes to serve. Now, we could have served him, and if he had built the local congregation, they certainly could have helped him out, and there was actually many things that he could do, because I know there was somebody in that local group who needed help, an older lady. He's a younger guy. He could have been helping her, and she could have been helping him pay his rent. But instead, he was working two days a week and looking for the job that made him happy. Only applying for certain jobs that made him happy. To people in the kingdom, it would make them happy to pay their rent. And they would do any job they could get to do it. And not depend upon the charity of others. That's back in the welfare of the world. And for some reason, people had a hard time seeing that. And, and took it hard when we said, pointed that out. But a wise man thanks you for rebuke. He blesses you for your rebuke because he knows that makes him wiser. We are to strengthen the poor, not weaken them. 
We are not giving simply for giving's sake. We are giving for righteousness' sake. And when our giving is righteous, it will be with discretion and wisdom. And it will strengthen the poor. So in some of these quotes that we see in Titus, if you go back to one seven, for a bishop must be blameless and a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. What is this bishop? It's actually the word episkopos, and it is also translated overseer. And we use it today, and when you say the word bishop, you think again of the bishop of today, and that's not what you were dealing with. A bishop was a man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. And that really is the job of everybody, and it wasn't necessarily specifically an office, but a minister would pick a minister and he might be called an episcopal because he has to make sure that the ministers that have picked him are doing rightly. He's also recognized by other ministers like himself and that's what forms the network and they should be making sure he is doing rightly. And if a minister is not doing well with that which the individual has given, the common way that the modern church does this is uh, many of the modern churches, not all of them, but uh, they form a board of elders, which is usually not every man in the church, but just uh, some men in the church, which is a, a big error, because every man who has a family in the church is an elder in the church. But uh, they form a board that directs and holds and owns to some sort of corporate entity usually or sometimes a trust the property that they have given away to God and the government actually has tried to pass laws in some states to make that a reality in every church and that is the antithesis of what the early church was when you gave your gift to the minister of your choice you gave it entirely to him in trust because you're what you're really doing is giving it to God it is a burnt offering it is freely given up to that minister and that minister has 100% control over it as long as he is that minister but you have given it to the office of that minister and if that minister goes completely bonkers uh, or tries to do something he cannot convert that for his own personal use that is given to him by Christ and the minister he picks is an overseer of that because the minister he picked is recognizing him in the church. And if he starts to subvert that, the people can go to their minister and say, stop subverting that or converting that to improper use. They can stop supporting him. And they can also go to his minister and point that out. That's how it goes before the whole church. And his minister may say, yeah, he's converting. I I withdraw my recognition of him. And theoretically, he would have to turn over the property that he was holding to the next minister picked by that congregation. But because his minister said so. Now, we don't have a police agency that would enforce this. And this is one of the problems in the early church. There was a minister who was 
not liked by the people anymore, and the people wanted to get rid of him. But he wouldn't leave the minister's house. The house that was supplied to the ministry wouldn't leave it. And so they appealed to Rome to throw him out. Of course, this was actually the the Constantine's church. It wasn't the original church. But we don't do that. We appeal to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit listens to our prayers, which people don't realize how powerful that is, you see, because they haven't had God listening to their prayers. Not for a long time, because they've gone out and picked other gods. And God said, I will not hear you in that day. But when they start really doing the will of the Father through Christ, then when they pray to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will hear them, and men will die like Ananias. So anyway, getting on here real quick so we have time to take calls in the last half, if you have calls. I don't know if there are questions coming up in the uh, chat room, but Paul can uh, clear his throat or interrupt me anytime he wants if he sees an important question. But in Titus 1, 7 through 9, it says, For a bishop must be blameless as the stewards of God's, not self-willed, not soon to anger, not given to wine, not no striker, not even to, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful words as he hath been taught, that he may be able to uh, be able by sound doctrines both uh, to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Is that convinced? Yeah. Uh, that's that's a real job. That's a pretty big job. But this is the nature of your ministers has to be really above board because he's handling what you give him to maintain the social welfare of your government. If you were really doing what the early congregations were doing, you would have no need for social insurance. No need for Social Security, no need for health care, no need for any of that. You could supply all that much cheaper, and also if you were really doing the will of Christ, you would actually have instantaneous healing, so you wouldn't have nearly as high of medical bills. And uh, you would have a complete reversal of your dependency upon the modern government, and you would be looking to the church which would be composed of congregations and ministers who are servants, not ministers who want to be up on pedestals and looked up to, and everybody go, oh, the bishop came. Oh, oh my goodness, the bishop is here. No, the bishop's, uh, yeah, where's the bishop? He's in the bathroom cleaning the toilet because he's a doer. You see, something needs to be done, he's a doer, and he's going to run and do it. He's, he's out there, you know, tending to the sick or the needy or whatever it is. And that's the kind. Now, in uh, Peter, we have, uh, in First Peter 2.9, we have a different word used to, or translated into peculiar. And that is uh, a similar to some degree word. I mean, it begins the same, but it's actually a little bit different word. 
and uh, it's a noun, and it means purchased possession, uh, preserving a preservation, a possession, one's own property. So it's very similar in meaning to the other, but it's in a different context. But ye are chosen generation. He's referring in comparison to something else. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Levites were called out. They were this possession of God. They were to be a priesthood to all nations, and all of Israel was to be priesthood to all nations. And that priesthood to all nations uh, is what the church should be today, showing them by example that you need to live by faith, hope, and charity, and not dependent upon these men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And so that's what the peculiar people are. It's someone who is not owned by the state. They're not corporations of the state. They actually belong to God. They have actually been doing what Christ said to do to be ministers. And they are the faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. And they, with the help of the people, are organizing a government based on the perfect law of liberty so that all men may be free souls under God who choose to repent and turn around and go the ways of God. We're going to see the world collapsing economically. We already see it bankrupt morally. We're going to need to find those people who have the character of Christ in them and come to serve and bring them together in an organized network that is grassroots, but those grassroots have the Spirit of God living and dwelling in their hearts, picking ministers who come to serve as Christ came to serve, ministers who do not want to be on a pedestal but want to connect with other ministers like themselves to form a national and international network of faith, hope, and charity where everybody takes back their responsibilities of loving their neighbor as themselves so that when they walk that path, they will suddenly find themselves in possession of their own God-given rights again, and they will not only be free but they will survive freedom. Because if you were all set free now, right now, suddenly, all the governments of the world said, no more income tax, no more property tax, no more sales tax. You guys all just work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We set you all free. We will not hold you in bondage anymore. We will forgive all your debts. And, you know, the Federal Reserve said, we're going to forgive all your debts. What would happen in the world today? <laughs> Absolute, total pandemonium. <laughs> you know, because when they did that, the notes would become absolutely, totally worthless. They're worthless now. I mean, you can go to the Federal Reserve site and they tell you that the notes have no value. 
They say that right on their own website. <laughs> but if you were suddenly set free, they would have absolutely no value. You couldn't buy anything with them because half of what you buy, more than half of what you buy, is made in foreign countries, and and the music will have stopped, and uh, there ain't enough chairs to go around. They're playing musical money right now. I mean, if you see, we talk about this in depth here from time to time, do you see the musical chairs going on? Why China is buying most of the oil that's coming out of Iraq instead of Europe? What, what, these are major shifts taking place. Why we went into Iraq? Why we went into these different places? And how the banking system is really the core of all this? Why you went into Libya? It had nothing to do with freedom or any of that stuff. Those people are all manipulated. It had to do with money had to do with the golden dinar and what they were going to monetize their oil in. <laughs> That's what it had to do with. Anybody who says other doesn't know what they're talking about. But the more you're depending upon that system of money changers and and benefits and networking in governments that exercise authority, the less likely you will survive freedom when it comes. In order to survive freedom, you must start taking back your responsibilities. And that's all we're doing on the network is giving you an opportunity to take back your responsibilities. We want you to gather together with people as locally as you possibly can. Sometimes they'll be hundreds of miles away still because we're still kind of scattered in the network. But gather with those people from time to time. Obviously, you aren't going to meet every week, but gather with them by phone. Talk about it. Try to figure out ways to find all those people between you and them that can become a part of a local congregation. Work together. Contribute to one another so that you can find those other people. Ads in the paper. Somebody who wants to answer the phone for Tennessee. If we want to connect them with... we got people who wanting to connect with us in this network that don't have email. We need to have ministers on the ground who will answer the phone and say, yeah, I'm part of the network. Who are you? And they tell you who they are, and then you say, well, you know, I got somebody right down the street from you. And get those two meetings. Now, they may clash as personalities, but if they really love Christ, they will find that common ground. And they will stick it out and persevere. Every seed that sprouts is not going to make it. But we need to nurture them. We need to create the circulatory system that will feed his sheep and strengthen the poor. So I'm going to give you out the phone number if you have any questions. If you have questions in the chat room, uh, write those questions out, and we will try to answer them. Um, Let's see here. I should have that open. So here it is. I think. Uh, here it is. The telephone number to call is 414-395-2442. That's 414-395-2442. Or excuse me, 2442-2442. So if you have a question, you can call in at that number. Don't be afraid, you know. Uh, I don't bite hard, <laughs> but uh, the 
anyway, this idea of peculiar people. Also, if you have a subject matter that you'd like to talk about for next week, let us know. Uh, and I'll start setting that up. Uh, we're also looking for people that are, uh, we have an official Facebook website. And we have an official Kingdom News list, which you can sign up to on our uh, org page. And we will eventually have some software here that will help us organize the uh, uh, ministers, the personal contact ministers that you pick. <clears throat> and so that we can keep track of everybody, that's something that we're going to be working on this uh, next year, is building that network. And we'll be moving in the direction of having this uh, fall festival in September and see if we can't make it a bigger deal than ever before. We have lots and lots of room. So a 1,000 people aren't too many, uh, although we're going to need to prepare for it if we're going to get that kind of number. We're looking for a couple hundred people at least, but uh, uh, we can take – we got room for a couple thousand people, but uh, we're going to have to work together in order to ha- do that. And that's one of the things about these little projects like uh, Fall Festival last week of September, the Burning Bush Festival, the – Feast of Tabernacles, whatever you want to call it, is that uh, in order to make that come about efficiently and make it a real celebration and tie all the ends together, it's going to take people working together. And in the process of working together as a people, we begin to find out who is reliable, who is honorable, who is a worker bee, and who is uh, get the job done, who will bear fruit, and who really just takes up a lot of our time and that knowledge of each other will become invaluable in the days ahead to be able to put on events like that on the church property here we'd like to be able to feed several thousand people with what we produce and uh, we're working on that Uh, we've been working on a number of projects the last few days and uh this next month we're going to work on we're going to have a few extra laborers here and we'll be working on a lot more of these projects uh, we want to be able to produce from five to 10,000 fish a year and uh, we already produce uh, you know probably 10,000 pounds of meat a year actually more than that uh, we produce wool uh, you know, we have two different kinds of meat sources. Actually, three if we start eating the llamas. <laughs> we don't eat the llamas. Somebody gave us a couple of llamas, and we have them. We thought we'd try to graft them in with a sheep to keep the coyotes out of them. But anyway, uh, I don't hear that phone ringing off the wall, 414-395-2442. I'm putting together a number of articles, including this one on peculiar people, that will be going out on newsviews.com. And uh, we'll see if we can't build the network up. But, again, we're looking for people who come because they want to help others. It's easy to find people who want to be free and want to be helped. But it's hard to find people who want to help others. Now we got a call. You have a caller. Indeed. Okay. Hello, caller. Oh, hi, Brother Gregory. This is Isabel from New York. Hi, are you are you in New York or are you in no, Colorado? No, right. I'm actually I'm calling just to say hi from Colorado, sitting in a motel room with Nitsan Parak and David and Scott, 
listening to your show, so we just wanted to call. We don't have a question, but we wanted to say hello and let you know. Well, uh, how are things going there? Have you guys met with the local congregation at all yet? Uh, not yet. We have at 3 o'clock we'll be going to Jeff's house. He, he oh, okay. stopped by this morning to say hello. Okay. Okay. So we just wanted to let you know we were four oddballs wanting to be peculiar. <laughs> 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 well, that, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're looking for. <clears throat> You're on the okay. job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been working well, it's, hard. Well, it's a shame that the one who had the courage to call was the woman. What, what are those other guys oh, doing well, on that? Uh, well, um, no, I'll pass the phone to a man. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> Jeez. I guess I got stuck with the hot potato. Scott gets Okay, who's who's this? Scott. Oh, it is Scott. Boy, your voice sounds different on this phone. Okay. So, or maybe you're getting, uh, maybe something's happening to your voice. You're doing a lot of talking the last few days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, quietly. I haven't, okay. haven't been talking a whole lot. Okay. And you guys got the paperwork? You got access to the paperwork that I put together on, uh, on uh, Long Street? Like the termination? Yeah. 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 Uh, we, okay. We have access to that. Okay. I just want to make sure that all got through. I never got to make sure because I had a little bit of problem with... Uh, I'm trying to remember what the actual URL was. But anyway... Uh, uh, so, yeah, you're going to have a meeting this afternoon with that congregation and see if they can't uh, get organized. It's all a great learning opportunity and experience, although I wish we had it under better circumstances. But uh, I'm impressed that so many people have shown up to help out this local congregation get back on the road again. Uh, yeah, it's um, like Isabel has made a lot of changes in her travel plans and and uh, taking a lot of, you know, financial resources to, you know, make those sacrifices, and yeah, that's a that's that's a kingdom track, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, I know Nita went a long ways to get there, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> David Cather didn't. Uh, he, I guess he got a trip partway there, but driving that semi the last little bit, I guess he had to drive the semi. Yeah, it's parked in the hotel parking lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, next to the little minivan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So the, yeah. the hotel has been very gracious to us, too. Um, there was, um, when they gave us permission to park the truck here, um, and I explained to them what we were doing, you know, what this whole gathering was for, and the the uh, hotel clerk took mercy upon us and kind of bent the rules for us. Okay. <laughs> so that's what uh, we're all about: <laughs> bending them, not uh, breaking them. <laughs> we're just bending them a little bit. <laughs> so, and they're giving well, I, us I, a, a, a extra a couple hours for checkout so that we can host the talk shoot from here with the four of us. So, oh, okay. Okay, yeah that that starts at eleven o'clock my time. I believe so, yeah. I think uh, yeah. I'm a little confused now, too, but it should be at noon <laughs> after uh, mountain time. 
And so the meeting there would be 3 o'clock mountain time, which would be 2 o'clock my time. Okay. Right. So right. if you guys, if during that meeting you need to call up and ask any kind of a question, I'll, I'll try to be near my phone. So. Okay. Uh, that, that'll be uh, so that if I can be a service, uh, let me know. I hope. Uh, of course, I know Jeff pretty good. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I've known his wife since she was about 10, I think. <laughs> anyway, I guess we're at the end of our show. Uh, or are we? No, we're at the end of the half hour. Yeah, so we'll be back in a minute. I'm still here, but we probably won't be able to hear each other. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Because you love the truth, LibertyRadioLive.com The Greatest Prophecy DVD from Across the Border Productions. Embrace the little known, the greatest prophecy given by the Great High Priest, the once secret plan for mankind. At the first sacrificial event, believe it. Behold the end times in Daniel chapter 2, because the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. It is the key to prophecy future. Comprehend the seven-year great tribulation deception. Be not deceived. Understand the great prophecy delusion. Because, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Be forewarned. America, in prophecy, exposed for all to see. You must see it. The mark of the beast. No, it's not a biochip implant. A much better and more secure technology is already here, and you are already using it. We will bonus you with a free copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, when you send a support donation of $20 to First Amendment Radio. Visit the shopping page at our website or send $20 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Send your support donation of $20 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, Avenue, Tulare, California, or $30 U.S. for international priority mail outside the U.S.A. A wise man is forewarned and prepares for the times to come. Will you be ready? The Greatest Prophecy DVD. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government takeover of the church. 
who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me. Well, we're back. I don't know. Are you still there, Scott? Uh, no, Scott is not here. I mean, well, he's okay. here, but uh, he's no longer on the line. This is Nitsan Parak. Hello, brother. Okay. Yeah, this is this is me. Uh, during the commercial break, we had an emergency here. <laughs> uh, the we had a neighbor who uh, recently had a hip replacement, uh, and she's had serious problems with that. Uh, and uh, they just came by and asked to borrow the church's van to use it as an ambulance to take them to the hospital, which is 100 miles away. And well, so, let's uh, end the end the show and intend to the weightier matter there, or is it? No, no, I, I've got other people that will take care of that. Uh, and uh, so I just uh, helped arrange to get a mattress in the van. And uh, okay. and I've got other people here that are taking out the seats, and uh, someone else. Uh, we have an EMT that works with us very closely, and uh, they're going to use the church van to take that person to the hospital. Uh, okay, so we're we don't also have to saddle landing up and start. Say again. I said we don't have to saddle up and start heading over your way, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They're they're going to be there. Uh, I hope they get the van back by tomorrow because I have to be <laughs> be in Bend tomorrow as well. But uh, uh, anyway, they're going to rush in and uh, take care of that. And uh, uh, but it's just one of the things. We're also a landing zone for the church here. Is a landing zone for the Air Life. So these are a part of our outreach programs. And again. It's not depending on other people. Even Air Life is not a government agency. Air Life is privately supported by individuals who pay into it and uh, and take care of it. Uh, we had the same situation when we made a video for uh, Oregon uh, Disaster Unit, which is completely supported by private individuals and has been the first responder on all these major events from 911 to Hurricane Katrina to even they went to Japan uh, during Fukushima. Uh, they are first responders, uh, and it's all privately funded. And as a matter of fact, the reason we made the video is because FEMA wanted more control over them, and they wanted to remain independent of FEMA, and they needed a video to show all the things that they did, and we got the entire town to volunteer to create a mock disaster, and they brought in uh, helicopters and everything else to uh, set up an emergency hospital in the local town here, and we videoed it, and it went off as a video provided by His Holy Church to FEMA to show them that we don't need them. We've got each other. <laughs> uh, we have we room. Want to take... Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> but, uh, 
but uh, we we don't want to do away with FEMA or anything. We want to do away with the need for FEMA because right. we know that FEMA won't be there for us when things really get hard. And this is what Christ was teaching the people. This is what John the Baptist was teaching the people. And, of course, this is what Moses taught the people. That you want to be free of Egypt, you need to become free of a need for Egypt. You want to be free of Rome, you need to become free of the need of Rome. And that, people wanted to know, somebody had written, wanted to know if we were like the Amish or like uh, the Crusades, or, and he had another uh, example that he gave. And we are, we are a peculiar people. We are people that live by faith, hope, and charity. It doesn't mean that we don't come together. We come together, but we're bound by this peculiar thing called faith, hope, and charity, which is love. And this, and the reason I'm talking about this is to give people a picture of how this works and how it can work so simply. Uh, the EMT does not come here to go to church. We meet him on the road when it comes to helping other people. He's, he's a, a man of action. He, if, he, if you talk about going to church and singing songs, he can't figure out, well, I don't want to go to church and sing songs, but he wants to be there to help other people out. And that's kingdom tracks, as Scott mentioned. Kingdom tracks. People willing to go out of their way to make the way of others easier, better, clearer, uh, more successful. Uh, and that's what the Good Samaritan did. He went out of his way in order to help somebody else. While the professional ministers went out of their way to avoid helping somebody else. <laughs> they, you know, they crossed over to the other side of the road as not to be near the guy who needed help. And that's the reverse of Kingdom Tracks. So anyway, you guys are all there in Colorado to help others out, to get back on the track towards the kingdom. And that's a good sign. Uh, we haven't had that in the network for a long time because uh, the network wasn't as organized as we are now getting. But we know we're still plagued by people who are coming for what they can get rather than what they can give. But can you imagine if we had 100,000 people who were gathering to see how much they could give to each other, not just give for giving's sake, but give for righteousness' sake to really strengthen the poor. That would be a tremendous force in America and in the world because we want to do this in Australia <laughs> and England and anywhere else that we can find the seeds or Canada wherever we can find the seeds of the kingdom we want to give them the light and share our light with them so that they may grow but anyway anything else you want to bring up Nitsan? Uh this is David Cawthon uh, Gregory uh, okay he handed you over to David okay. <laughs> yeah so yeah, but uh, now we're just, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to be, finally meet Nitsan and Isabella and uh, and uh, Jeff this morning. So I'm looking right. forward to meeting everybody here in the congregation. So, Yeah, I, I don't know how many are going to show up on this day. I guess it's the day before New Year's, but uh, uh, it would be interesting to hear the results of your meeting. Uh, yeah, we'll make sure that uh, something gets out onto the either uh, preparing you or out onto the PCM group about uh, 
what goes on over here. I have no idea myself how many families are going to be there or how many families are even in this congregation. So, Right, right. Well, there was a list somewhere, I think, uh, of emails, but uh, the details, uh, that was one of the problems that hadn't been forthcoming to... Uh, so, but we did by my contacting Jeff. Uh, he had a list of emails of people that had been involved, and so that we were able to contact them through that those means. But that, you know, these are good times and bad times. We want to make sure that we have real intimate connections from bottom up and back, from up down to the bottom, because the bottom is the top in the kingdom. And so, therefore, we have to look to the people in order to give us guidance as to how to serve. Uh, they're the ones who tell us where the need is at, and then what we're looking for is people who are willing to uh, step out of their own comfort zone because they find comfort in providing for the needs of others. When they know that in providing that need, they will help strengthen those individuals. You know, like I, I pointed out, they didn't go into the rest of the story with the Good Samaritan, but if that Good Samaritan was simply drunk in the ditch uh, and went back to getting drunk in the ditch again, I don't know if the Good Samaritan would have pulled him out. Uh, they made it clear that he had been beat up in that ditch, and when he got better, hopefully he was appreciative of this and went out and helped others as he was helped. And that's, you know, uh, planting the seeds of the kingdom. But uh, we want to be strengthening the poor. So if there's a way we can help the Colorado group get going again, that would be great. Because we've got a lot of things sitting in the uh, the sidelines for Colorado that we could be implementing. Uh, but we've actually held off because we weren't sure if they were really going to do all the things that a congregation needs to be doing. We weren't sure. We hadn't been getting enough reports. Uh, and that's kind of, we're doing a certain amount of watching and waiting. Life is a test. But, uh, so you've, you, you've been having a good visit with those guys there, huh? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Been talking up the storm. <laughs> Learning a lot. <laughs> Learning a lot. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that interaction with people is so important. And, and it, it, you haven't been sending emails since you met. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, we just, so busy it's uh i mean that's and, and i agree it takes that you know intimate relationship you know the, to get together to face to face you know and that's where the spirit is able to to move more you know in in your hearts and stuff and uh, just brainstorming and you know it's just been awesome you know right so. right uh, does Scott and Nissan have any estimation as to their time of arrival in Oregon? Um, let me step back in here. I don't think so. I think right now we're just kind of playing it by ear and seeing seeing what uh, what goes on here first. Okay. Yeah, okay. Going by the congregation's lead and see. See what's going on. Yeah. Well, we have one person here now, but they'll be leaving tomorrow, and then so I figure after that, uh, you know, we'll be ready for them anytime. So whenever they okay. get here, they get here. Okay. And uh, we'll be working that way. Uh, if we don't have anything else, maybe we'll give somebody else a chance to call in. Uh, did I talk to everybody that's there? I guess I did. 
Yeah, four people. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well, well. Uh, nice talking with you, David. And okay. uh, I'll be anxious to hear what comes from the meeting. All right. We'll let everybody know. Thanks, Gregory. Okay. Okay. My God bless. So, Paul. Yes. Are you there? I am here. There's a question uh, in the chat room. But go is ahead. There is a question in the chat room. There is. It says, can you clarify how one keeps his words in agreement but does not contract with others, believers or not? Well, uh, you know, we can contract with others. Uh, there's different kinds of contracts, you know, that we use words like contracts, covenants, and constitutions. Uh, what agreement do we have with unbelievers? But that doesn't, you know, if you uh, <clears throat> go sit down in a restaurant, and order something to eat, uh, you have an agreement to pay for that. <laughs> so there's a contract, but it's a limited term contract. When you get buy a ticket to get on a train, you have a contract. Uh, they're going to carry you. You're going to abide by the rules of the 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 train and the conductor, but you can get off the train when you're done. And so uh, there's all kinds of contracts that we can enter into, but we're talking about the long-term covenants where you give up your rights uh, and you no longer have access to those rights because the covenant you made is also including debt. But giving your word to do something, you say, yeah, I'm, uh, you, you, somebody asks you, like, uh, you know, can you give me a ride on Tuesday to the hospital? And you say, yes. Well, that's a contract, so to speak. They, there's no money involved. There's no debt involved. But you just keep your word because you said, yeah, I'm going to give you a ride to the hospital on Tuesday. Uh, they just came in and asked if they could borrow the car. Uh, actually, they didn't. Somebody, this is all going on while I was on the radio. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I said, yeah. And uh, I don't know the the fine final agreement. I don't even going to know till I get out of the off the air. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I know the people that are involved, and I'm taking a risk by uh, loaning them the use of the vehicle. Uh, maybe one of my sons will go along with them. Uh, hopefully, they'll have it back by tomorrow so we can take somebody uh, where they have to make connections to get back to Minnesota uh, tomorrow. But the fact is, somebody needed it. We agreed to it. That's an agreement. And so, keeping your word. You know, like, for instance, uh, forming a congregation of record. There's only a couple things required in the formation of a congregation of record, and one is to keep records. When you have people join your congregation, you let the other ministers in the network know through a chain of communication. And you do it by notifying them that you have new members of the congregation. Uh, someone was born. You would let us know that someone is born. If someone got married, you would let us know that someone got married. They would keep a record in their Bible. They would keep a record in their church. And they would keep a record in the network. Because the network cares about the fact that you got married or gave birth or had a new member of your congregation as much. And in order to watch over the needs of those people, we need to know who they are. It doesn't need to be in a central location like they did with the temple at uh, Saturn, where that was the Bureau of Vital Statistics. 
our vital statistics are throughout the network uh, through congregations who love one another as much as they love themselves and through the ministers of those congregations who come to serve. So those are all part of the agreement. If you don't keep records, we have an obligation not to recognize you anymore as part of the ministry of record because you're not keeping records. That's about it. You know, other than that, you know, it's we all have an obligation of righteousness. If we see you doing things that are unrighteous, we may bring those to your attention because Christ said to rebuke one another. So uh, we all have agreements, uh, and we should keep those agreements. My father was very slow to say, yes, we're going to do this on such and such a day. And he's kind of taught that to me, that I'm, uh, you know, I'm very slow to agree to do certain things, but but in this case, uh, someone needed transportation. Uh, they're having serious problems with, which I knew they were going to have, but they wanted to have the operation anyway. They're they're just a neighbor. We don't have any authority over them. They chose that, but we we want to be there for them, and so we offer the use of uh, a van where they can stretch out in and uh, get them to the hospital. And that's an agreement. Uh, and we have to follow through with that agreement. Sometimes following through the agreement is more expensive than you thought. <laughs> but, but you have to keep your word. And people should be very cautious how they give it. So I don't know if that helps him understand that. Uh, I'm kind of surprised. Uh, you, you know, you give your word to your wife that you will love, honor, and cherish her. <laughs> Uh, you you give your word to your kids from time to time, yeah, we'll do this. And occasionally you can't keep your word and you have to apologize, but the effort we see in trying to keep your word gives us a certain uh, understanding about your personal honor and integrity. And so that that's a common thing amongst any society is, can we trust you? If you say you will, well be done. That was one of the things that the Roman centurion pointed out. He knew that Jesus didn't have to go. He says, I too am a man of authority. Now you have to understand how the Roman army worked. These soldiers, yeah, they owed their authority. They were not even taking an oath of allegiance yet at that time in the Romans uh uh as a Roman centurion or Roman soldier. You didn't take an oath of allegiance you worked for your captain and your captain worked for you these were a body of men a band of brothers uh, they didn't really come down with the oath of allegiance until later on uh, I think it was even after Tiberius in the Caligula uh, era and Claudius where they started demanding an oath of allegiance we're already doing that in the uh, U.S. Army taking oaths of allegiance, and uh, that that was uh, something that was not done in early America at all. Uh, but uh, we could see it creeping in uh, about the time of the American Revolution. But anyway, yeah, I don't know if that answers their question or not. But uh, honor and honesty is really a very important part of the kingdom 
to say what you're going to do and do what you say. And, you know, Jesus told Peter to his stupid, foolish statement that, yes, my master pays the tax. He says, but you said it, so now we're going to keep our word, even if it costs us. But, of course, Jesus made it possible that it didn't cost them. I just had to run down to the beach and get a coin out of the or two coins out of the fish of a mouth mouth of a fish and he got to pay the taxes. Some of you may have to work a little bit harder to get your coin. But if you say you're a part of that system, you need to pay the taxes. And if you're taking the benefits, you need to pay the taxes. And you should not be cheating the unrighteous mammon because if you're a cheater and then you try to enter the righteous mammon, you're probably still going to be a cheater. If you're selfish in one world, you'll be selfish in the next. And there is no place for selfishness in the kingdom. So that's why, you know, God says, you know, liars don't enter into the kingdom. So we have to be men of our word. Uh, that was one of the things that we know about the Essenes from uh, uh, Josephus is that the Romans respected the word of an Essene even if he refused to take an oath. Uh, that his his word, the word of an Essene, was considered more valued, more trusted than the word without an oath as the word of a Pharisee with an oath. <laughs> so uh, that uh, tells you something about the people, that they were known for their honor and their honesty. And we need to be known for the same thing. So is there any other questions, any other things, topics that came up in the chat room that we can talk on before the end of the program, which is about six minutes away? Well, there's a question that says, I have a problem with so-called prison ministries. Can you comment? Thank you. Uh, well, it depends on what your problem is. Uh, yeah, that's what I asked, I'm, too, but he hasn't responded yet. <laughs> that, you know, there is a problem with a lot of prison ministries. You have to remember that today, most of the people in the prisons are not in prisons for violent crimes. Uh, and even many of the people that are in prisons for violent crimes, the, the violent incident was one-time manifestation. I heard a guy the other day that he was out with some friends and somebody mistook him for somebody else. They they misidentified him and came over and started beating on him. Actually started hitting him and knocking him around and he, he didn't even know what this was all about. But they had a mistaken identity of the guy. He wasn't the guy that they were mad at. And he defended himself. And in the process of defending himself, he hit the guy with a bottle. And the bottle broke. And he cut the guy. And he got, I don't remember how many years he got. I think like six or seven years for uh, extreme force. Because he cut the guy pretty bad. But he didn't kill him. But... He was attacked. <laughs> you know, that's an extenuating circumstances. He's really a nice guy, but he's doing years in jail for what he did. Other people are in jail for, uh, and, and there's a lot of innocent people in jail. So jailhouse ministries are important, but, uh, you know, there's some people that are in jail that should be in jail. They're not repentant. They're not sorry. They regret. They're learning to put on a new face to get parole, and so you have to be very careful about prison ministries. But we see Christ talking about 
those who visited me when I was in prison. And he says, those, and he says, when did we do this? And they says, well, when you did it to the least of mine, you did it to me. Well, of course, he's not talking about your average child molesting, murdering, <laughs> thieving, robbing lover of evil. He's talking about his little ones, the ones that are in prison unfairly, unjustly, or maybe they did something wrong, but they are truly repentant. And those people should be ministered to. Uh, but jails aren't as hard as they used to be, but it, that, it just depends on an individual calling, so I really don't know exactly what to comment on other than that. Uh, we need some people in our prison ministry. I get letters from people in prison all the time, and I don't know how to answer them, but I guess we only have about 60 seconds left, and uh, we'll have ended another show. Uh, I'll be on another show this afternoon at 3 o'clock. You can find out about that at hisoldchurch.org. Until then, peace be upon your house. Thanks, for Paul, for being there. Thanks, Greg, for all you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.